life of change. God takes us where we are, but God doesn't leave us where we are. God grows us and matures us spiritually. And God's design is to use each one of us, every one of us, in the lives of others to help each other grow and mature as Christians. We're in a series, a sermon series right now, on the Christian church. Two weeks ago, we said that the church is a community. There were many different people, different backgrounds, and God is making us into one group, one spiritual family, one spiritual body. Last week, we saw that we, the church, actually all of humanity, are worshipers. We all worship every day. And God calls us to worship Him first, to put Him in first place in our lives. And by that, when I say worship, I'm talking about delighting in God and honoring God and obeying Him. And today, you can see the sermon title, The Church Are Disciple Makers. And we're continuing with our bad grammar. For those of you, um, I know that some that bothers you, there is hope it is going to end. Not the sermons, the bad grammar. Today, we're going to be reading two sets of verses together. In the first one, Matthew 28, we're going to see the command from Jesus to make disciples. In the second set of verses from Ephesians, we'll see how Paul develops this idea and explains about making disciples. So remain seated. Well, let's read together Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. Jesus is the one who gave these gifts to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ, until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature and full-grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ." Then we will no longer be like children, forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or because someone has cleverly lied to us and made the lie sound like the truth. Instead, we will hold to the truth in love, becoming more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now you'll notice on the Ephesians verses, I took that from the New Living Translation because I think it helps us better understand what Paul is trying to say. We talk in the church about disciples, at least some, and, but that's not a word that we use outside the church. In the New Testament times it was, because then the word disciple simply meant a student. 
And it wasn't just a religious word. They didn't have colleges and universities back then, but they did have teachers. And if someone heard a teacher and really liked what they said, they would become their disciple, their follower. They would listen to them as they taught. They would listen to them as they discussed their ideas with other people. They would spend a lot of time with them. And most often those disciples would end up adopting the particular outlook on religion or philosophy that the teacher had. In the New Testament, we see that same kind of idea with Jesus and his 12 disciples. He had actually more than 12, but the 12 were the closest that he had chosen to spend time to be with him all the time. For the rest of the sermon today, when I use the word disciple, I'm talking about a follower of Jesus. You have that note in your bulletin. That means that every Christian is a disciple. Every Christian is a follower of Jesus. But I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, there's another word, again, one that we don't use much today, that kind of gives you the idea. But a couple hundred years ago, ago, people would have understood it, I think, very clearly. And that's the word apprentice. As a young man growing up in his family, he'd be the young child, he'd go to school. When he's done with school, if he was going to pick up a trade, he would apprentice himself to whichever trade, a master carpenter, master silversmith, a master barrel maker, whatever it happens to be. And typically, he would go live with that man's family. And for seven years, he would, six days a week, he'd be working with that man, learning that trade from the ground up. Spiritually, in a sense, we are apprentices, not learning a job skill, but actually learning how to live life. And in this case, the apprenticeship isn't just seven years, it's lifelong. But it's the same idea that we are followers of Jesus, we're disciples, we're learning. Well, in Matthew 28, Jesus gives this command, and his command is given to every Christian, if you put up the slide. The command is to make disciples. And here's what I want you to see in that. The idea is that as you and I make disciples, we help people become followers of Jesus and grow as followers of Jesus. Both parts. Often it gets in the church changed to, well, we need more people to believe in Jesus, to come to faith. That's the first part. There's the second part, the growing. Jesus goes on to say, now here's, here's the two parts I want you to do, teach and baptize. Baptism is a public declaration of faith of the Christian, or if it's an infant baptism as we do in the Presbyterian Church, it's a public statement of faith of the child's parents in God, recognizing their child's need to have their own personal relationship with God. And the teaching, we don't often stop to think that we take our modern view of teaching and put it on here. We think of teaching and we think of a classroom or something like this. There's one person up front who's speaking and everybody else is listening and maybe taking notes. Okay? How well you take your notes often depends on you know, how you're thinking about the test. Well, in this case, you're going to get a test, okay, but not by me. It's going to come this afternoon, tomorrow, this week, as you and I live life. So there is teaching that happens formally like that. I'm going to talk about that more. But there's a lot of teaching that happens outside of the classroom as well. And then don't miss it. In here at the very end, 
Jesus says, and I will be with you. I am with you. That is an amazing promise. How is he with us? He puts his spirit inside every Christian so that he's closer than a breath to us. And his spirit, he tells us, is teaching us and encouraging us, reminding us of what we've heard, reminding us of what we've read in the Bible. That's an amazing promise that, that Jesus gives to us. And then Ephesians, Paul is going to go a little deeper and talk a little bit more about the mechanics of how does this disciple-making work. And he begins in verse 11 talking about gifts. He's talking about spiritual gifts. And if you look at the New Testament, you'll see in places like 1 Corinthians and Romans, lists of spiritual gifts that God gives us. And he tells us, the reason he gives it to us is so we can use them to serve others, and especially to serve the church. But here in verse 11, Paul highlights four particular gifts. Apostles and prophets, well, that's a discussion for another time. Because there's a difference of opinion in the Christian church about whether or not apostles and prophets still exist and how that works. But the other two are two that most of the Christian church recognize is still today, here today. Evangelists and pastor-teacher. Now, you notice that in the translation it says pastors and teachers, but in the Greek you realize that what Paul is saying is pastor-teacher is one gift goes together. So you have evangelist and pastor-teacher. Well, in our Sunday school class, youth adult Sunday school class, we've talked about the evangelist with a capital E. The person who is, has been specially gifted by God to talk with other people about Jesus and to help people see who Jesus really is, to encourage people to believe that Jesus really is God's Messiah and that he is their Savior and Lord. The rest of us, we're evangelists with a little e. We don't have that particular gift, yet there are opportunities and we should always be ready to be able to share with others why we trust God, why we believe God is real, and the difference God makes in our life. Those people who respond to that type of conversation and trust that Jesus is God's Messiah and their Savior and Lord, they become part of God's church, God's family, and so they become followers of Jesus. They become disciples. So Jesus gives the gift of evangelism to help introduce people to Jesus, to help them come to faith. The pastor-teacher has been gifted by Jesus to help people understand the Bible, which is God's Word to us. God speaks. speaks to us every time we read. His Spirit reminds us of that. The pastor-teacher also helps people to, uh, to see how God's good news, how God's word changes the way we are to live. Remember I said life, is, life involves change? Christian life involves change? Well, we are changing. Just this last week, in my own personal reading, I was reading through Colossians 3, and Paul talks about that we're to, and he's talking to Christians, we're to be putting off the old ways, the ways that are natural to us before we know God before we have a relationship with God, what seems right in that way. Put that off and put on what God says, how God teaches us to live, how God teaches us to think. And so part of what the pastor-teacher does is help us understand 
what it is God is calling us to do, and as a result, He helps us to live the Christian life the way God wants us to live. Now, I want to speak for just a minute about something that's not directly in our verses, but I think it's an important insight into God's ways because it is so different from our current culture of what I call experts, and I put that in quotes. A lot of people know Psalm 23, at least the first few words. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay, well, what that means is, in terms of Psalm 23, we're sheep, including Christians. Christians are sheep, and God is our shepherd. If you've ever been around sheep, read about them, sheep are helpless, they are trouble on the hoof, and they need constant care. So it's not a compliment that we're called sheep. It's accurate, but not a compliment. Well, here's what God does. God picks some sheep, Christians, to be elders, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastor teachers, and some to be deacons and Sunday school teachers. Now, as we think of our culture, what we often do is we say, look, we look at those elders and, and the deacons and the, the teachers of various kinds. Oh, they, they're more mature. They're the expert, put it in quotes. Okay, we can look up to them. But if you think about it, the pastor teachers, the elders, the deacons, Sunday school leaders, teachers, they're all sheep. God's using sheep to teach sheep. Go a little further. God's calling every one of us to do one anothering. God wants a sheep to help another sheep. Okay? What is God thinking? It seems so backwards, right? When you stop and put it that way. How can it possibly work out? God, the great shepherd, works in and through all of his sheep to accomplish his purposes. And so in the end, God deserves all the praise and the glory and the thanks. So God does call, gift people with various spiritual gifts. And he gives some to be the evangelists and pastor teachers. And in verse 12, we see from Paul that Jesus uses the pastor teachers and evangelists to equip God's people. In a lot of your Bibles it says saints, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So let's look at those three things. Saints, equipping, and the work of ministry. The Christian church over the centuries has changed the word saint to refer to super spiritual Christians. That is not the picture you get in the New Testament. If you've ever read the letter of 1 Corinthians, so Paul's first letter we have to the church at Corinth, they are a mess. They are immature. They are arguing and fighting with each other. They are messing up this way and that. It's almost as if everything they touch goes wrong. And yet he calls them saints. Saints are ordinary Christians. Saint refers to every Christian. It's us. And then equipping. One Bible scholar said this, equipping is, is providing Christians with the necessary equipment, spiritual equipment, for the work of ministry. If you put up the slide. Well, here's some of, these, some of the things that equipping includes. Learning what God tells us in the Bible about man, about God, and about this world. Learning what the Bible, what God says in the Bible 
about these things. And he can do that, and he's going to be true about it. He's our creator. He knows. Equipping includes seeing life and people more and more from God's perspective. And I added the word you see there in brackets, unlearning. Think about what I said at the beginning. Physically, we grow through change. We we mature. Spiritually, we also change. God takes us where he finds us, but he doesn't leave us there. We come into the Christian life, whether your background was religious or not religious, with ideas and ways of thinking about God that don't have God at the center, or if it's, for example, religious like mine was, you can still end up with a distorted view of God. And I did have a distorted view of God. And so there's unlearning for us to do. Unlearning. And then learning what God says is true. And as you and I do that, we begin to think more and more like God thinks. We begin to choose more and more based on God's word. We depend on God more because we realize we need him. And the the result of all of that is that we're following Jesus. Now, following Jesus is a little bit like talking about worship. I said last week, everybody worships. Not a question if you do or do not. It's just a question of who or what. There's a sense in which you can say everybody follows. You're going to follow your own desires, your own thinking. You're going to follow somebody else's philosophy. You're going to follow Jesus. You pick. But we're called to follow Jesus. Now, the other thing as you look at this list here is see that this is not something that you just add to your life, tack on to your life, and the rest of your life stays the same. This equipping touches every area of life. A related idea that we have today in our world is called the secular view of life. We talked a little bit about it in Sunday school last week. You see, there are a few people, some, who will say there is no spiritual part of life. But the majority of people say, oh, yes, there is. There is a spiritual aspect to life of some kind, spiritual or religious. But many who say that will agree with this idea that there's the sacred part of life and there's the secular part of life. Well, what's the sacred part? What's what we're doing here right now in church, the worship service, going to Sunday school, being involved in a care group or a Bible study, doing your personal devotions. But think about how much time that is in your week. It's actually not a lot of time. Add it all up, it's just a few hours. If you're involved in all of those, it's just a few hours. Well, what about the rest of life? Well, that's the secular part. That's your work and your family and your entertainment and your politics and everything else. But part of this idea is that the secular, I'm sorry, the sacred part, yeah, the secular part is not touched by the sacred. They're separate. You hear that idea today, too. Oh, everybody is free to choose what you want to believe. And so if you want to be religious, that's fine. But leave your politics at the door. Don't bring it into your work. Don't bring it into politics. Don't bring it into any public discussion. People who say that don't realize that itself is a spiritual statement. And that we don't do that because we're not 
these, we're not made of chunks. And I have a little part of me that's a spiritual chunk, and the rest of me is the secular chunk. No. We're all spiritual. All of us. Our whole being is spiritual. And so all of life, in that sense, is spiritual and sacred. Now we're still talking about equipping. And I hope you begin to see how these pieces connect. When you and I think about disciple-making, we may think just in terms of the formal methods that the church uses for spiritual growth. We have a worship service, we have Sunday school, we have our small groups, we have Bible studies. And all of those are ways to contribute to making followers of Jesus. But if you think in that way, what you've done is you've limited who does the equipping. You see, there's, an, there's a dynamic of one anothering that happens, that can happen and should in many of these uh, other things like the Sunday school and care groups and Bible studies that enrich the study when there's discussion where everybody can contribute. There are times in Sunday school when it's not the teacher, but it's somebody, one of the students in the class, makes a comment. And I've, I've, I've thought it myself, being in that place, I've, I've heard others say it. Somebody would come to me later, oh, you know when so-and-so said this in the class? I had never thought of that. Boy, that, that opens up this whole new way of looking at life. It wasn't the teacher who said it, it was the, one of the people sitting in the class. Or you're in the class and somebody, again, one of the other students says something and you're challenged by what they said. Whether they're challenging the class or they're just talking about their own life and you listen to them and you're thinking, oh, I, you know, this is something I need to work on. Or they're speaking, somebody else is speaking and you're encouraged. For example, somebody can, can say, somebody that you, one of the elders or deacons one of the ministry leaders in the church is in the class and they're saying, you know what, I, have, I struggle having regular devotions, reading the Bible and praying. And somebody's sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, I thought I was the only one who had that problem. I thought there was something wrong with me that I struggle to be able to consistently read the Bible. No, we can be encouraged, others and then somebody that shares a verse or an insight. Not just the teacher in the class, but all the people who share are participating in disciple-making. I want you to get that. <clears throat> but you see, that dynamic of one anothering isn't just limited to a class or a Bible study. It's actually something that happens in the events of your everyday life. And that's also part of God's plan for disciple-making. So at your work, in your family, with your neighbors and your friends. See, God's plan is to use you and me, every one of us, in our daily lives to touch the lives of others. That's part of the equipping that God has planned. Which takes us to that third part, the work of ministry. Ministry means service. So, a minister is one who serves. Ministry means service. God calls all of us. And how does this work out? Well, let me just give you a way to think about it. 
service, ministry, is you and I being used by God to be his hands and his feet and his voice to others. And what can we do? What are the things that God calls us to do as his hands and feet and voice? To comfort others. To help others. To teach others, formally and informally. To witness. And by witness, I mean that you and I are sharing, this is who God is to me and this is what God is doing in my life. It's a personal witness. To encourage others to speak the truth. I was talking with somebody last week and talking about a, a current event that was going on and without thinking, they just kind of gave the stand, what I call the standard um, cultural answer to a perspective on the situation. And I thought for a second and I said, hey, have you ever thought of this? And then I didn't quote chapter and verse, but I talked about a biblical way of looking, a biblical perspective on that same situation. And they kind of looked at me and they said, you're right. I never thought of it that way. What, what did God use me to do? To speak the truth to somebody. And where, where does this happen? At work? In the family? Again, think of the different dynamics in the family. There can be husband and wife. There can be parent and children. God can speak through all of those different ways, but let me speak to the parents for just a second. Have you ever thought, parents, of this, that raising children is a form of disciple-making? That God's calling you, as a Christian parent, to raise your children to know God, to love God, to learn His Word? You're making a disciple. You're trying to make a follower of Jesus. So it isn't just in church. Family, at work, with friends, neighbors. One Bible scholar put it this way, the entire church should be engaged in spiritual labor, in the work of ministry. That's in your bulletin. The entire church should be involved. Which means that Christians are not just consumers. We all have a part in each other growing spiritually. One of the New Testament pictures, word pictures for the church is a body made up of many parts. Well, imagine if your left foot decided to become a consumer. It's going to take nutrients, but it's not going to stand, you know, hold you up. You're going to have a tough time getting around. Or your hand decides it's going to be a consumer. All of a sudden, it doesn't do anything. It just kind of flops around there. Life gets hard. God didn't design us to be consumers only but to be ministers, to be serving and giving. There's a true story of a pastor who was teaching his congregation this, had several different sermons, and was really trying to get the people in the congregation to get this idea that they were ministers. And he stood there and he pointed his finger at him and said, I want you to get it. You are ministers as you serve and help each other and encourage. Well, one of the members in the congregation knew that there was another person from the church in the hospital. So they went to visit. And they hadn't been to the hospital much at all. And so they get to the floor and they stop a nurse and they ask, can you help me get to so-and-so's room? And she says, well, what is your relationship to, to this person? Oh, I'm one of their ministers from the church. And she stops him, puts her hands on her hip, 
and says, look, how many ministers does your church have? Okay, you're number 10 in the last two days to come visit this guy. They got it. They got it. I'm not the only minister. In fact, that's not even my best title. You're ministers. You and I. And God's the ultimate purpose of Jesus giving the gifts and equipping for the service and the work and the ministry is the building up of the church. You see that in verse 13. The saints are to use the equipping they're being given to grow the body of Christ in unity of faith. If we were to do a detailed survey of this group, not to speak of the whole denomination, how many different views would we have as we look at the Bible on various things? There would be a fair number of differences. You'll notice if you've joined our church, we ask five questions. And the first two center on Jesus, our understanding of who he is and why we need him in our lives and what he does for us. What you don't see is a questionnaire with 35 questions. What do you believe about this doctrine and this doctrine? If, only if your answer is yes to all of them can you join us. We don't do that. We can have those differences and still have unity of faith because we agree on the key truths. And that's where creeds and confessions are helpful. Then we also grow in our knowledge of Jesus. We talk about the facts that you can learn about Jesus. By the way, if you want to learn some, uh, some new facts and perspectives, if you've never gone through it, there is the person of Jesus study. And there's a book form of that called Love Walked Among Us. But you see Jesus in a different light. Because it slows way, way down and looks in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John at the life of Jesus. You see how he's interacting with various kinds of people and what he does. And you see his compassion, you see his honesty, you see his anger. These different pieces. But that's not even the biggest part. We grow in our knowledge of Jesus, facts about him. But we also grow in our personal experience. Just this last week I heard a, a, a pastor talking about a question someone had asked him uh, recently. And that was, okay, pastor, have you ever had any doubts or questions about the Jesus and the Bible? And he said, I've, I've been a Christian for 40 years. So over the years, yes, I've had a few doubts and questions about the Bible. Most of those have been answered and resolved. But about Jesus, no. Never had any questions. Because he shows himself faithful over and over again. He answers care, he provides, he cares, he protects. I've never had a doubt or question about Jesus. How, how do you get to that place? You live life with him every day. And the result of that is we grow in spiritual maturity. As he talks about it, the fullness of Christ, that we become like Jesus. And then, in verse 14, Paul gives a contrast to maturity. He says in verse 14, then we will no longer be like children. Now, the Bible gives a picture of spiritual growth that, par uh, that parallels physical growth. Every one of us starts as a baby. Then you grow as a toddler, your child, your young adult, which our culture calls teens, become an adult. 
Usually by age 18, 21, you're physically mature. Spiritually, you can become a spiritual baby at whatever age when, when God comes into your life, kind of invades your life, and you become a Christian. You're going to go through the same spiritual stages. Spiritual baby, spiritual toddler, child, young adult, adult. You can't short-circuit it. Now, the, 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 how fast it is you grow spiritually isn't on a fixed timeline. So a person who's an adult and becomes a Christian can actually grow spiritually you know, fairly quickly as compared to a child, a person who's a child when they become a Christian. But you can see that pattern, that similarity between the two. And just like a child can be snookered. If you don't know that word, that's I think a southernism. It means uh, tricked. Okay, that's what Paul is talking about. That we can be like a child and we can be deceived if we're a child. We can be tricked to think something is true when it's not. And Paul says, as, as spiritual children, it's possible for us to be taken in by lies and deceit. Things that sound like they're right, but when you dig a little deeper, you find out it's not centered on Jesus. It's not centered on God's truth. It's something else. So in verse 16, he says, instead of being like children, the whole goal is for you to grow and mature so that instead you can hold to the truth. And by that, he isn't meaning primarily just hold to a set of facts. They actually hold to Jesus. Because Jesus says, I am the truth. And as you and I do this, as you and I participate in this giving and receiving, we become more like Jesus. Now, Jesus is both God and man. How often do you and I think about Jesus as man and the example that he gives us? As you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you see is that Jesus delighted in God the Father. And God delighted in him. More than once, God spoke from heaven and said about Jesus, He's my son. I love him. I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. But you also see that Jesus prayed a lot. I think we kind of lay our experience of prayer onto that and wonder what in the world was going on. Jesus was talking to God. Remember we said before that, that God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And from eternity past, they've had this relationship where they have loved each other and delighted in each other. And Jesus, here on earth, was continuing that as he talked with his Father. Continued to love him and delight in him. And so he talked a lot with God. You also see that Jesus obeyed God. He says that obeying God was almost like eating for him. He said, it's my food to obey God. He lived by God's word. Look at what, how Jesus responded to Satan when Satan tempted him. Every time Jesus answered Satan, he always quoted the Old Testament, his Bible. He said, God said. I'm going to live by what God said, not by what you're saying right now. Jesus cared for others, and as he did, he did not compromise with evil. And you could go on and look at the example that Jesus gives us. And as you and I do our part, as we, as we are equipped by others, as we're helping and equipping others 
the result is that the entire church body grows. I want to pull one thing from last week to try to tie together. You put up the slide. Last week I said, when you and I truly worship God and delight in Him, we will naturally tell others, both Christians and non-Christians, about God because we see God working in our lives. We see God involved in our lives. As you and I are living life and we are praying, God, would you help me see how it is you love and care and provide? Would you help me to see your handprint on the people that you bring in my life to encourage and to help and to teach? We, we, this relate, our relationship with God changes. It's more personal. It's deeper. And it's the natural, as we talk to people, that we're going to talk about God and who God is to us and what God is doing. And we're going to do it both with Christians in our lives, that's called disciple-making, and non-Christians, also part of disciple-making. We can talk to both as we do that. So as I finish up, I have two questions and two thoughts. Do you come to church, first question, do you come to church each week expecting and desiring to be equipped for God's purposes for you? Notice I didn't just ask, do you come to church? Do you come to church expecting and desiring? And if you don't have that expectation and desire, you can say, okay, God, would you give it to me? Two thoughts. Your ministry... Your service isn't just on Sundays. Even though we need people in various forms of service, like the video and the sound and nursery and other things to make, and Sunday school teachers to make these things happen, your ministry and mine isn't just on Sundays. Our ministry should be every day of the week, Sunday through Saturday, in all of your relationships. It's a, it's a different thing to, to think that, oh, God can use me in talking with a friend, talking with a neighbor, talking with somebody in my family. God can use me to encourage, to help, to comfort. And then the last question, isn't it amazing that God's plan is to use ordinary people like you and me in this way to grow his body? the church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you and praise you that this is your plan to use us. You use others in our lives and you want to use us in other people's lives to grow, to, to, help, some, to help some people come to faith, to people that we know that are already believers in you, to grow in our faith in you and in our, the way that we live, to mature to become more like Jesus. Lord, it's amazing that you use sheep in other, pe- in other sheep's lives. We know that we're broken people. It's, a, it's just so much more amazing when we realize that you've chosen to love us and that you've chosen to use us. So Lord, help us to embrace your call on us to love you, to serve you, to worship you, and delight in you, and to be used by you in the lives of others. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction.